Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 343. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome back Tom Burnside. He is the CEO and co-founder of LendingPoint. Now, LendingPoint's an interesting company. They've been around about seven years. They're growing fast. They got to profitability quicker than most uh, fintech lenders, if not all. They also had, I think, a really interesting story around the pandemic and how they bounced back quicker than most. Uh, We go into also their money-on-demand ecosystem, which I think is really interesting where borrowers get their money instantly, literally instantly, so they can spend the money at the point of sale or wherever. They're one of the few consumer lenders that have expanded into small business, and we talk about what's involved there and why they did that. Tom provides his perspective on getting a banking license. He also talks about when and if they'll do an IPO and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Tom. Hi, how are you? Doing great. Uh, Great to have you on. So let's get right into it. We had you on, I think, four years ago, three and a half, four years ago, and great to have you back. But a lot has changed (laughs) since, uh, since 2018, right? So maybe we start off with how do you describe Lending Point today? We are a full spectrum lender that uh, uses a platform to deliver three products to the marketplace, direct-to-consumer, point-of-sale products, as well as our SMB e-commerce platform. We're full-spectrum credit. We go from 550 to 850. You know, so we're able to deliver you know, products throughout somebody's financial journey. We're funded by multiple sources, everything from platform to ABS markets to on-balance sheet type lending. So across the part, we have a very diversified funding platform. So yeah, we basically are able to meet people wherever they're at in their financial journey. That's a very open, I think one of the largest TAMs that are probably our total addressable markets in, out there today with the widest credit spectrum. And we've really enjoyed uh, kind of being in that position. Right, right. So then what would you say... Um Given the last two to three years, all the changes that have happened, what what have you changed at LendingPoint? What are some of the new developments you could share? We've really been working to continue to build out our ecosystem. And our ecosystem really is where we're acquiring as many customers as we can through one of those three products or platforms we spoke about. Mm -hmm. Being able to get that information into a single database so we can get buying signals and marketing signals and credit signals shared across the products be able to cross-sell, upsell customers in all those products. And we see a lot of great activity there. And then lastly is uh, working very hard on the mobile app to continue to evolve it 
and allow it to be kind of the delivery platform. You know, 74% of our customers today come to us through a mobile app. And wow. this is an opportunity for us to message them and tell them a little bit about other products and services that are available to them. Mm-hmm. And we found that to be a very effective tool. About 25% of our base last year was customers that were buying another product or renewing one of the products they already had. Okay. Okay. So then let's talk about point of sale and the buy now, pay later explosion that you guys were early, I think, to recognize the potential of the point of sale. And how have you ridden the kind of the wave of uh, interest in that kind of financing over the last couple of years? We find this to be a really great opportunity. We spoke about e-commerce a little bit earlier, and that's really the complement to point of sale because what we're seeing is we're helping small businesses with working capital and we're helping them on the other side to finance transactions or buyers, right, that have come in. So we kind of find ourselves in the middle of commerce here, and this has been great for us. We were really the first. We offer what we call as a SAC product, which is a, a, a great uncle, if it were, to buy now, pay later. It's just on bigger transactions. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, somebody has four months, six months, eight months, 12 months to pay back. And if they don't, they simply convert into a, uh, a more traditional term loan. But what that does is it allows them to pay as they can afford it. So it doesn't kind of force them into a bad position, try to pay it all back within a four-month period of time. And roughly 40% of the customers will transition into a more of a term note. So they have an opportunity to pay it back right away if they want, or they can move it more into a term note if they find it's not as affordable as they initially thought. And it also allows us to finance a lot bigger type of transactions as well, right? So we're not doing a lot of $100 purses, but we are doing a lot of air conditionings and you know car repair and things of that sort that are $500 you know, or greater, uh, you know, alignment of teeth, all those type of things. The SAC product or the buy now, pay later product allows them to finance something. And if it's unaffordable, they can move into a term note. Right, right. Got it, got it. And, you know, there's not many consumer lenders have expanded into business lending. And I, I know that this has been probably, I don't know, a year or two now where you first we heard about the e-commerce kind of offering that you guys, you know, I think it was with eBay. That, that, I don't know if that was your very first foray, but tell us a little bit about the thinking behind that and why expand that way. We have a point of view here. Our point of view is, is that it's going to be difficult to be a monoline product in this space. And what we need to do is today, if you kind of looked at our business, you know, some channels we see 60% of the customers we see that will apply today have applied somewhere in the last year with us. And so we really are starting to focus more on the ecosystem and on the experience of the customer and meeting them wherever they're at in the financial journey. So the more we can diversify our products that we can serve our customer with, the better it is. Now, go a little bit further with that. When we can help somebody at a small business with financing consumers, we can also then help them with working capital needed to replenish stock, things of that sort. So that working capital element, we kind of understand their health because we're already there helping them finance. And now it allows us to give them working capital at the same time. We found that to be very effective. So then does that mean you're focusing on those people that you're providing the capital for their customers and then you can provide capital to the business itself? Is that the focus? It's a little bit of both. Um, you know, in the case of eBay, we're really just financing the sellers right at the moment in that particular case. What's interesting in that particular relationship is we're embedded in the transaction. So we get a lot of information. It's a co-brand with eBay, but that information comes directly to us real time. So once the customer says, click, I'd like to have you know, whatever that transaction is, we can pre-approve them. If they say, hey, I want to apply for the first time, 
it sends all the information to us and we can make a transaction happen in five seconds of two or three hours later, they have their money. So in that particular case, we're really helping them. But now we're working on the other side of that transaction as well, as well as we do with dentists and others, but helping them say, look, you know, now allow us to help you finance your consumer as well. You know, you've trusted us here, trust us in, in financing your consumer as well. That really is an interesting way to kind of play it, I think. And then as far as expertise, I know that a lot of your management team had experience at American Express. I mean, what did you have to leverage outside experience or did you find you had all that experience in-house? I think we were lucky enough to have all those expertise in-house. I think what's different maybe in this environment is now that there's an opportunity with a lot more information is available through APIs and through being kind of embedded in these transactions, what it's allowed us to do is to be the fastest for an approval for a small business loan that's out there, right? So if they need working capital, we can do it in seconds. You know, in my very early builds of, of a small business lender, uh, you know, that would take us a day. Right. That's no longer the case, right? So I think their customer's experience has got a lot better, not just based on the knowledge of the team, but also just based on the information that's available to us now. Right, right. I see on your website, you've got like this white label system. Is that what you're talking about with the small business uh, offering it to their consumers? Or what is the white label system you refer to? So we don't have salespeople out selling small business. What we are is embedding ourselves in networks or systems like eBay that already have the knowledge, already have a captured okay. uh, base of customers. And from that, we just get a lot more information. It's a much better, smoother experience. Yeah, we're really focused on that right at the moment. And yeah, we'll continue to branch that out probably more in 23 than in 22. Right, right. Uh, got it. Got it. So then... So what about underwriting? I mean, I noticed, again, on your website, you talk about AI-driven platform. You know, when we've chatted in the past, you've talked about your sort of more sophisticated approach to underwriting. Maybe can you just describe a little bit of what you're doing and what you're doing that's different to others? If you go to the ABS markets and you can look at whatever tranche of FICOs that we're selling at that particular point, or we're moving into the ABS market. Our performance has been really, really good. We've done billions of dollars into the marketplace our uh, ratings continue to go up. All grades now are investment grade. And so we're really very proud of that. And that's really driven by the AI of our credit model. But you know, I got to tell you, Peter, I think that's table stakes nowadays. Like, the, the AI for credit is interesting and you got to do it really, really well. And a lot of times that just shows up in the public markets on these ABSs. Where we're focused on the AI side of it right at the moment is really more on the marketing side. Hmm. From a marketing side, we know what else is in their wallet. So we know other products to complement the customer with. We know kind of when they're going to buy. We know based on their life journey, what type of products they're going to need. But we also know what type of product we have to deliver to them to get a yes. And so we're really spending, yeah, we have about 10 deciles of credit, but we have about 20 deciles of pricing for customers. And that's so that we can get the right product in front of the customer at the right time so they can say yes to us. Mm -hmm. A lot of our AI, a lot of our knowledge now is really moving more toward the marketing side of it. I mean, we still continue to do this table stakes of the AIs for credit and the credit models continue to evolve. But the real focus is really going to be making sure that we get the right product in front of the customer at the right time. Right, right. Interesting. And then uh, one other thing that I want to bring up is this interesting idea that you have called money on demand ecosystem. You know, the money on demand piece is something that sort of heard sort of movement into that instant kind of financing type uh, arrangement. So what, what do you mean by creating a money on demand ecosystem? There's a couple of places that money on demand makes sense, right? One is if it's an existing customer, every month we will we'll do a soft pull 
will re-underwrite the customer every month. And we know how much money is available to them if they want to take it. Mm -hmm. So we can message them. They can click and say, yes, please deposit the money to our account. That's all a mobile experience. You know, and they'll have the money now in their account instantly. So if they're standing in front of something, right? If they're standing in front of something, they want to buy something. We want to make money on demand. We believe that our ability to use the AI, the machine learnings, all those buzzwords that you hear out there, how do you make it meaningful to the customer? You develop money on demand, which is when they need money, we already know what we can do for them and deliver it. Now, what we're doing is we're delivering it through a virtual card, right? So what that does is once we push it out onto the mobile experience, if they're on the mobile with us, we deliver it into a virtual card, the virtual card, tap and go. Right. So that makes money on demand. Now, there's the other side of it, and that is, is here's a customer that's coming in for the first time to a merchant. They can click the QR code, upload the, the app, get approved, and have the money downloaded onto a virtual card instantly while they're standing in front of the customer, and then tap and go. We think about the ecosystem that we're trying to develop. It's really trying to make it very easy for the customer to access, A, because we already know, or B, is because you're standing in, and you have a purchase you'd like to make. Right, right. So is that done through, so like the Visa Direct, like push payment rails? How are you getting the money instantly? We're using a company by the way, name of Extend right at the moment that allows us to create that virtual card. It's a MasterCard rail is what we're using. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, that's, uh, I think that's really cool because in fintech, we should be doing things instantly. I'm really pleased to hear what the developments you got there. So Let's step back and sort of talk about the pandemic. I mean, we're now two years really almost from the beginning. How, how, what were the early days of the pandemic like? And it sounds like you guys are covered pretty well, but um, take us through sort of that journey. The early part of 2020, we're all kind of looking at each other, not really knowing what to expect, right? We buttoned up for about a quarter. You know, we were very focused on what was going on out there. We wanted to make sure that we had an understanding of what was going to happen with credit, what kind of deterioration we're going to see, what kind of loss severities we're going to see. What we all did was we let the data kind of lead the conversation for us. And uh, where all the markets dried up for a little while there, you know, we continued to, to fund. I think we were one of the first ones to come back, which really allowed us to grow. You know, we still grew in 2020. Hmm. We still made profit in 2020 when everybody else was really pretty tight but we let the data kind of uh, lead us when was the right time to re-enter back in the marketplace and start doing the fundings again. And so you really see us grow kind of more third and fourth quarter. We really started to accelerate again, which gave us you know amazing momentum into 21. The second thing is I think that the loss severity was not as high as everybody had at least initially right. predicted, right? But you can't get drunk on that because your 20, now your 20 portfolio originated plays into 21 when credit's a little tighter you would expect for it to go back to more kind of normal 19, 18, 19 type of behaviors in 22 and beyond. So we, even through that particular process, we continue to underwrite the loss rates as if they would be an 18 or 19 type of loss rate. So that's also allowed us to have, you know, some great margins and an amazing year in 21. What sort of growth did you do last year? So, you know, last year, uh, revenue grew by 152%. Hmm. We grew 136% in our funding, right? Our originations. Net income grew by 158%. So we saw some really nice scale in the business overall. The big question about you know, fintech has always been, is it sustainable? Is it predictable? And is it scalable, right? And I really think this year, 21 specifically, was a year for us to say, yes, 
you know, all those things are possible, right? So you can grow really, you know, really fast. You can create profits and make very predictive kind of outcomes. Yeah, the biggest question is that everybody has is that if you grow real fast, do you get the scale you expected and do you get the predictive kind of outcomes from credit? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in all those categories, uh, I think we soundly were able to answer those questions. So for me, it was, a, it was a great year for us just to be able to answer those questions as we continue our growth. Right, right. Some of the others in the fintech space, some of the lenders are talking about or have applied or have even achieved a banking license. So where are you on that? Do you feel like, you know, you're obviously working with bank partners. Do you feel like that's a place you want to go? I would never say never, <laughs> but I don't think right at the moment we are, we have made that. I mean, I can see us using through our mobile app, I can see us using deposits and others, which is conversations we're having, but it may not be on our license. It may be just a, simply a way of us accommodating the services that help accommodate our customer right on their journey. But right. you know, there's a few issues with becoming a bank. One of them is you tend to trade around two, two and a half times book value. Right. That's not always wonderful, right? Then you also have this issue of the kind of under the near prime space, how much of it can be on your book. So there's some concentration limits there. So it will keep people out from fully serving that part of the marketplace. And so I think we evaluate this. The good news is that right now there's a high demand in the marketplace for our paper. Uh, we were five times oversubscribed. We've already done $450 million this year of ABSs. And, and so there's a high demand there for our paper. So if we want to keep more of it, you know, more of it off balance sheet or on balance sheet or forward flows or, you know, more platform revenue only, we have all those options available to us. So we continue to evaluate it right now. I don't, you know, it's not in our immediate uh, priorities. Right, right. So, so on, on that capital markets piece, I mean, you said you've been really active in the ABS markets. You've obviously said you've done really well there, but you're attracting new investors. You said five times oversubscribed. I mean, was this, you know, are people kind of re-upping that, that have invested many times? Are you attracting new investors? What's the mix that's happening there? We probably had 15 to 20 investors that were on our ABSs in 20 and the early part of uh, kind of 21. When we started to see the upgrades and we started to see all of the paper being investment grade paper, it really started tracking. So we probably tripled now the number of investors that are in our warehouses or in our ABSs that are out there. Now we're also doing forward flow and platform originations with uh, credit unions and banks and things of that sort. So what the nice part of that is, is that the customer at the end of the day, this, this diversity, if it were in the kind of funding platforms allows us to kind of meet the price in the marketplace, wherever it might be. It's been driving down costs. So the more people that participate, the more your cost goes down. But we also then can pass that through back to our customers. It almost makes us in a place right now where we almost have unlimited growth. It's really kind of up to us to create the demand and get it out into the marketplace. Right. But the foundation is built for you know continual strong growth. You know, there's a lot of people coming back in the fintech lending space. I've heard others that say there's a lot of demand out there from investors for this paper, which uh, is great for the industry. So I'm curious about you're profitable, you're growing fast. It seems to me the next logical question is, well, when do you guys go uh, go public then? We continue to evaluate that. I, I tell you that the market over the last couple of months has been a bit choppy. Yeah, sure. But 2021 was good. <laughs> yeah, 21 was good, but it was a great growth year for us as well. So right. yeah, the challenge is you never really want to go public because you're not going to get credit for all the growth, especially if you're growing at 100 plus percent. Yeah. 21 wasn't really kind of our year to do that. I think that, uh, you know, we've gone to Ernst & Young, we've done our two years with the audits, we've finished our SOC 2. I mean, we're, we're ready. 
right. we'll time the market, right? When the market's ready, we'll, we'll be ready to go. But, uh, and we have a little bit of unique story. Our story is kind of easy to read. We have high growth, a very diversified TAM, lots of different products, very profitable. So our story plays. The question is, is when's the right valuation? And you know, the interesting thing is when you're making money, you don't really have a need to go just go raise a sure. bunch of money without reason. You know, we have the luxury probably at this point to time the market. Yeah. And you guys also didn't go out and raise like series A, B, C, D, E, like some of the others. It feels like you're, you have gone out, I think, to the equity markets, you know, to the venture capital community. But what um, seems like you, you've raised less venture, I think, than most. What's um, going on there? We've only raised a little more than $300 million. Right. Of that, it was mostly friends and family. We brought in Warburg uh, in 2020 yep. during the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have been amazing partners in this particular mix. Uh, you know, they're very helpful, help us on, on our journey, you know, giving us points of view at the market. So we've really appreciated that. But we find ourselves in an interesting place. We own a lot more of the, of the company than most companies do at this stage. Right. That's a very interesting place to be at, right? At you know, kind of this stage in our journey. And our investors are patient. Yeah, what we have been able to do is, you know, we've got yeah, about two half billion dollars or so in the market right now uh, that we've been able to generate on less than three hundred million dollars, or you know, starting from scratch. You know, so that's not something that's done in the marketplace, and a lot of that comes from experience. Like the team is a very experienced team. They understood the markets. They had the connectivity. They understood how to kind of get us to this place. You know, a lot of credit goes to the team. Right. Right. Got it. So then, can we take a step back for a minute and just talk about sort of the the fintech lending space today. I mean, it's now, I would argue, it's a fairly mature you know, space within technology and certainly within finance. Uh, when you look out of the fintech lending space, I mean, what do you see? What, what are your thoughts on the state of fintech lending today? The number of repeat customers that we're seeing, Peter, we need to be able to take care of our customer. Mm-hmm. And we got to meet them wherever they're at in their journey because you're going to see them multiple times over a 10-year span. I also don't believe that fintech is going to be able to stand solely on a one product. You can't be a monoline product. You got to be able to serve with other products that meet the customer wherever they're at in their financial journey. So if right. you see somebody very early, you see somebody later on in their financial journey, they have different needs and different reasons for it. Uh, so we first went to the marketplace and just said, hey, we use the company called Ogilvy. Said, look, help us understand our customer's financial journey. And what we heard and what we saw was a lot of overlap between products and the permission to be able to give the customer other products if they've trusted you for one product. So I think all of us in the fintech space, we're going to have to embrace the customer. And if we want to be their trusted advisor for life through their financial journey, then we need to find more ways to keep them on. we got to find more ways to message them. we got to find more ways to provide services that may or may not make money for you, but it allows you to keep a continuity of the relationship over longer periods of time. People like SoFi have already, companies like SoFi have already started down this journey as well, you know, where they're offering other products. But we think what we do maybe a little bit different is because of how we're you know, structured right at the moment, because we're not a bank, we have the ability to meet people much earlier in their journey and hopefully be able to retain them over a longer period of time. You have a broad credit spectrum that you said. So are you seeing people kind of graduate from like a low 600s to 700s or higher? Is that What, what are you seeing in your customer base? There's a couple of things that, um, that we watch in our customer journey. One of them is it's not unusual for somebody to come through a fertility clinic at a point of sale and end up needing a home improvement. Mm-hmm. So we kind of see them on both sides of the transaction. But it's also not unusual for the point of sale tends to really focus on a much younger population 
And then the question is, can you move them up the journey? If they've trusted you for that transaction, can you move them into a direct-to-consumer personal loan, kind of outside of a, a very specific needs-based type product? And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see them move up you know, and take other products from us that are available to them. Or even if they've said they're on the seller side and we can say, hey, there's money available to you for working capital. You know, all of those kind of things kind of come together right at the moment. We're early in the journey here on the point of sale. And you, know, you kind of think about the business. We've been in business for seven years now. We definitely are seeing people graduate from a FICO perspective as they become stronger. We're seeing them graduate up in grades. And when we renew them, we give them that opportunity to have a better product. So that's really created some real stickiness there. Right, right. So then is the vision for you guys, are you going to be adding more lending products? I mean, like your name is Lending Point. So I don't know if that means you're going to go into wealth management or stock trading, like some of some of the aforementioned SoFi, for example. But do you want to have a complete suite of lending products? Or where are you at when that's concerned? The Lending Point brand has done very well for us in the lending space. But I do think you'll see other names coming out of the corporation. Okay. Uh, for other products and things that we do, you know, uh, the mobile experience will be different. You'll see other things going on inside the organization that are more services related. We have a lot of information on a customer. We have a lot of uh, information we can share on somebody's financial health and kind of how they index against everything else that's going on in their light proxy, if it were. So there's a lot of information we can share. And I don't know that all the products I mentioned earlier, but I don't think all the products are going to be profit products. You know, some of the services are going to simply give reasons for them to come back, continue to engage with us so that we have an opportunity to sell them other products uh, in their journey. Right, right. Okay, so then let's look ahead to this year. And then what's on tap for Lending Point in 2022? You know, look, there's a few things that are in tap for, uh, for 22. This will be our third year of profitability. You know, we'll have another 50% growth or so in profitability this year. You know, our portfolios continue to grow strongly. We'll originate a little over, you know, right about $4 billion this year. If we stay at the pace we're at right now, that would be higher than that. But uh, you know, that's what we're projecting right at the moment. We are also continuing to focus on the delivery platform of the mobile. We've staffed the full team there to continue to make sure that's best of class that's in the marketplace because we really see that our way of connecting uh, to the customer. We're digesting some of the Ogilvy study right at the moment to see what other products, uh, probably see an acquisition or so in our future now. Uh, as we kind of view other products that we need that will help us kind of round out the journey. And we're doubling down in point of sale. Point of sale and the e-commerce space, you'll see a lot more growth from us this year. Right. Okay. Well, well, best of luck, Tom. It's always great to chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Peter. Appreciate the time. So many interesting parts of that interview, um, but I want to just go back to one thing that Tom talked about, and that's this money-on-demand ecosystem and using the instant payment rails that um, both Visa and MasterCard have options to do that today and uh, there's others as well now. You know, we talked about this for many years in fintech, and now it's great to see it really come to fruition. We apply for a loan, and even when you get accepted for a loan, oftentimes you have to wait 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours, and that can be infuriating. And I feel like we're moving now, and it's going to become table stakes very soon, where once you have been approved, the money is in your account literally within 30 seconds. And that I see all lending going that way because certainly some of the more advanced ones are doing so now, as Lending Point pointed out. But soon that will be how all money is uh, transmitted uh, to borrowers. And I think that's going to be a good thing. 
Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.